Good morning. How you guys doing? Okay. You're going like, Who's, why is there two guys up there today? Is it going to be twice as long? Maybe. <laughs> no, uh, the reason for that is we, we're beginning a whole new series today. Uh, we just finished over the last two months going through the uh, verse by verse through the book of Philippians and talking about what that tremendous letter has to say to us. And now today we start a whole new series that leads us up to Easter. Uh, believe it or not, uh, we got six weeks and then Easter, okay? So it's not that far away. But uh, between now and then, what we wanted to do was begin to, we began to pray about and look about as a series as a staff, what was next in this whole thing. And we kind of became convinced that one of the things we needed to get back to was some very basic things, uh, some basic beliefs that we need to be aware of. And so I was actually reading a, a book uh, that came out a while back uh, called Why the Reformation Matters. And uh, you're going like, the Reformation, I, you know, that's not about us. Well, yes, it is, okay? We're going to do a series over the next six weeks. Today is an introductory series. If you're here thinking we're going to do a long Bible study today, you're probably going to be disappointed because we are going to talk some, about some Scripture and apply some Scripture, but today is not necessarily what we're going to be doing the next five weeks. The next five weeks, we're going to intensely look at five areas of Scripture with some basics that are important for us to understand. Today, though, we need to set some... Um, uh, set kind of a, 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 some groundwork here in regard to what we're doing and why we're doing this. Uh, and the reason my friend Dan Haney, this is Dan Haney, by the way, okay. Dan Haney, uh, Dan's going like, is he going to introduce me or not? Uh, Dan Haney is a good friend of mine who is a part of this church. Uh, and I'll tell you more about Dan later, right before he actually speaks. I'm going to do the intro and then Dan's going to kind of be the illustration today, Okay. I told him that, so he knows he is, and so we had a great time last service talking about this as well. So uh, today we're talking about why the Reformation matters. We're going like, well, aren't we Protestants, do we not? I mean, isn't that kind of like a historical thing 500 years ago? Yes, it is, but it's also important for us today as well. And the, the thing is this, let me give you a little historical background. Uh, most, of us, most of you probably know, uh, you've heard about the Reformation, you probably know about a guy named Martin Luther. Uh, you may know a little bit about that, but the impo important thing is this. Uh, the historical part of this is basically in the early 1500s, around 1507, uh, there was a young, newly ordained Catholic priest, his name was Martin Luther, who for the first time um, uh, went to his, did its first Mass. Now, I mean, being not a Catholic by background, didn't know what Mass was, and so to, to define that for all of you who are non-Catholics, uh, there's a lot of former Catholics at Great Oaks. You know exactly what I'm talking about. But Mass, in my terms, is kind of like the sermon, okay? It's kind of like the, the, the part of the, uh, of the message. It's the message part, whatever. And he was to do his first Mass. And I don't know, I remember I shared with you last week the first sermon that I did was a disaster. And um, he was coming up to it. He'd gone through all the stuff that priests are supposed to do. And he knew that priests were supposed to or expected to have clean hearts before officiating the Mass. It meant that they have no sin unconfessed, no heart of stone unturned. I mean, he knew those were the, were the things that's supposed to be happening. But as Martin Luther began to recite the introductory portion of the Mass, uh, he almost, he says in, in historical documents, he says, I almost passed out. He said, I was utterly, this is the words he uses, I was utterly stupefied and terror-stricken. Who am I that I should lift up mine eyes or raise my hands to the divine majesty? Thus began his struggle. Uh, for the next several years, he struggled with his identity in Christ, who he was, 
where to find uh, grace, forgiveness, and the whole deal. And so it kind of culminated a decade later, about 10 years later, on October 31st, 1517, uh, Luther did something that's now famous. He nailed to a church, the All Saints Church in Wittenberg, Germany, what's now called the 95 Thesis. And what it, that means was uh, he basically took a list of things that he had begun to describe and understand in Scripture and things that he saw that the Catholic Church at that time was not doing. And he thought, well, you know, what it is, we need to reform the church. He wasn't trying to uh, leave the church. He wasn't trying to do anything else. What he was trying to do was reform the church, to get it back to Scripture, scripturally-based church. And so he puts these on the wall. Now, today, if we were to do that, we're going, like, it's kind of weird. He nails them on a door. Well, that was kind of like uh, posting on the Internet. You know, it's kind of like you put it, if you want to talk about something today, what do you do? You don't go nail stuff to a door. You go put it on your blog or you uh, put it on Facebook or something like that. So this is kind of what he did in those days' terms. And so he did that. Well, it became this whole kind of conversation that didn't really turn out the way he expected it to turn out because what happened was instead of reforming the Catholic Church, the Catholic Church pushed back on him and actually, eventually, a couple of years later, it a thing called the Diet of Worms. Actually, it's the Deet of Worms. Uh, it's not about worms that you go fishing with, and it's not about going on a diet. The diet means, uh, it's, it's basically a word meaning a, a conference, and that's what it was. They put, took, came, came and brought him there, and he was before not only the Catholic Church leaders, but he was also before the uh, emperor of the Holy Roman Empire because at that time was all together and they basically uh, uh, chastised him, told him to ask him to repent of, his, uh, of, of the things he did and he simply said this, uh, and this is what he said uh, at the Diet of Worms in 1521, he says, I am bound by the scriptures, uh, that's the next slide there, I am bound by the scriptures I have quoted and my conscience is captive to the word of God. He's going, hey, I have studied God's word, and I cannot go back. I will not recant. Uh, basically, uh, the, the famous line is, here I stand. I stand on the word of God. And uh, so that's what happened. I was reading, I got so interested in this whole topic back uh, a few weeks ago, I actually actually purchased online uh, Roland Bainton's book on Martin Luther, which is probably the classical book. If anyone wants to read a really good book, and if you're really into biographies and history and stuff, uh, Roland Bainton, B-A-I-N-T-O-N, uh, has a book on Martin, the life of Martin Luther. And I was reading through that, and one of the things that Roland Bainton somewhere said is that, that during the study of Scripture, certain Scriptures came to mind in in uh, Luther's life, and one of them was Galatians 2.20, which says this, and this is a newer translation, but it says, My old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And for him, that was an epiphany, because it meant now that it wasn't about the church giving him favor, but it was about living in Christ. And it kind of freed him up, and became, he became a joyous person after that. And so the reformation of the church began. Luther knew that the next step was this, though, because up to that time, and this is, we take for granted in our culture today that everybody has access to Scripture, right? I mean, all of you can get free Scripture if you have the Internet. Free. You can have the U version of Scripture, and you can have 27 translations. You can have anything you want. You don't have to go out and purchase it anymore if you have a phone or, or whatever, an iPad, whatever, uh, any kind of uh, Android device. You can download this for free. So you have access to like Scripture like crazy, like we've never had it before. But even before that, you had access to Bibles, right? You go to a hotel room, what would you find there? 
Gideon Bible. You're going like, man, those guys must be everywhere. And they are. And so that was kind of the deal. But in, the, in, in Luther's day, in the 1500s, before the printing press, before Gutenberg came out with the printing press, and it was just a little bit while later, which often also opened up the thing with the Bible as well, uh, the people didn't have the Bible in their language. It was Latin. It was a Latin Vulgate. And so what they did is not many people read Latin, and so nobody could read Scripture except the priest. And so Luther said if people are going to understand God's Word, they need to have it in their language. And so what Luther did right after this is he actually went and he translated the New Testament over the next just a couple of months he translated the New Testament in, into German. That was the language of his people. And that was the first language of the people translation of the Bible. It was known as the Luther Bible. And eventually that was translated into English, and you know the whole history of that as well. And so all those things happened. And it opened the door for the Reformation to begin, for people to start looking at what the Scripture itself meant uh, in, in, the, in the languages. Now, let me just say this, and then I'm going to talk some more about Dan here. He doesn't like it too much, but I'll tell, tell you about him anyway. Um, the way that the Reformation impacts us today and every day can be seen in the convictions that we have about the Bible. Things like who Jesus is, what Christ has accomplished, what it means to know God, how God reveals himself. All those things are things that we can learn from Scripture. And all of these things were essential parts of this reformation, this change, this correction, this course correction that was made by Martin Luther and others as well. He wasn't the only one. He was just the first one to really do it. And, and so these issues that are so relevant for us today uh, actually come out of that Reformation time. Uh, I was, uh, earlier when we were singing the songs, uh, in the first service I was, we were sitting and singing the songs, and I looked over at Dan and said, how many of those things are going to be talked about over the next five weeks are in those songs? And if we didn't have those things, these, we call them in a moment, solace, you know, the things that are alone, we do these alone. We couldn't sing those songs we just sang and not mean them. You understand as we go along. And I hope you'll challenge yourself to think that way. Because the thing is, is so often we just simply take for granted the things that we believe. Now the challenge in the series that we're going to have over the next several weeks is this. Is that we unfold the Bible and we explain these things about the nature of Scripture. That Scripture, it's Scripture alone. Uh, that it's grace alone, that it is Christ alone, and so on, we're actually reinforcing principles and truths that had been lost sight of, that it started off in the church on the right track back in the New Testament times, but had been lost sight of in the dark ages and came to light because of the grace of God by, by um, uh, lighting a flame in the heart of this Roman Catholic monk named Martin Luther and showing him that the righteousness he longed for was a righteousness that could be his in and through the work of the Lord Jesus Christ alone. So, uh, we say as a church that our purpose is this. And let's see, let's see if you're listening. What do we say the purpose of our church is? To help people take their... Yeah, guys are so good. Take their next step towards God. If, you, if you're going along, you're like, I don't know what you're talking about. Well, you haven't been here very long, okay? Probably because I talk about that all the time. Our purpose as a church is to help people take their next step towards God. But the other thing that we talk about is that as you take your next step towards God, what it should do is this. It should, it should help us to do something, and that is to learn to love God and love people more, okay? And so what we believe is the foundation for these actions of love toward God and others comes really out of the Reformation, and it goes all the way back 500 years from before us now.
So as I think about this, there's three questions that rose in my mind that we're going to be talking about over the next several weeks. The first question is this, what is my source of authority for my beliefs? What is the source of authority for my beliefs? Now, as evangelical Christians, which we are, the source of authority is Scripture. It's Scripture. Scripture alone. The second thing, if that's true, what does Scripture say about my core beliefs? See, the Reformation is important to us because it brought a course correction back to the Scripture as the authority for belief and action. And so what we'll be talking about over the next five weeks is what kind of came out. Now, it wasn't talked about this way in the Reformation times, but about 100 years ago, this became to be organized in a process called what we call the five solas. The five solas. And the five solas up there, the word sola is a Latin word that means only or alone. Okay, this is probably the last time you're going to hear that word. I just throw it out there because that's what they're called. If you see it somewhere, you're going like, oh, that's what it is. I know what it is. Okay, cool. Um, But the five solas are this, scripture alone, grace alone, faith alone, glory to God alone, and Christ alone. So the next five weeks, we're going to talk about each one of those from scripture and understand why these are so important as core values. These are not optional things. Now, there are some gray areas of scripture, folks. I will admit that. And there's some things that people debate about, but these aren't them. These are things that all Christians who call upon the name of Christ, who believe that scripture alone is, these are the things that we believe in. And we're going to talk about those as foundational to our beliefs. So next two weeks, Chris Genders is going to talk about the first two, scripture alone and grace alone. The third week, Dan Baker, our children's pastor, is going to talk about faith alone. And then I'm going to come back and talk about the fourth and the fifth one, glory to God alone and Christ alone, right before Easter. And as we go through these, what we're going to be doing is we're going to be talking about, the, looking at all, or not all the scripture, because there's too much scripture to talk about, but look at a lot of scripture, core scripture values that'll help us to understand these. The reason that the, and you're going like, okay, so that's great, it's kind of historical, it's got these five solas, what we talk about, why study this at all? Well, let me tell you why I study this at all. Because while the Catholic Church was prone to the era of going off track, we're prone to the same errors. We have to be aware of that. And, and if you don't believe that's true, there was recently a survey that was done. A recently a survey that was done. It was called the American a Theological View Survey. And here's, I'm just going to give you a few things real quick here. I can't see them up there, but I'll see it back here. And, and, and it's this. This to show you how confused, what a confused state we are in America with beliefs. Okay, this is one thing. This is done with Christians and non-Christians. About 3,000 people was a survey. That's really, you know, how these surveys are done. Thing Number one, it says, heaven is a place where all people will be ultimately be reunited with their loved ones. 60% of the Americans say that is what, that's true. I hate to tell you that, but that's not what Scripture says. Okay? Well, you'll be reunited with your loved ones if they're in Christ, but not just... That's kind of the gathering place. You know, it's like going to be a big family reunion there. That's not what it says. And then the next one says, only those who trust in Jesus Christ alone as their Savior receive God's free gift of eternal salvation. 54% said that. Now, I don't know what that means, but it basically means there's confusion about what's, what's true and what's false. And then the last one was like interesting. By the good deeds I do, I partly contribute to earning my place in heaven. 52% of Americans believe that's true. 52%. We're going to learn that grace alone means that's not true. Okay? Next. 
The Bible. God is the author of Scripture. 58% said, sure. I guess the other ones don't know who he is, who's the author of Scripture, okay? The other one is this. The Bible is written for each person to interpret as he or she chooses. This is scary to me. 51% of Americans say that's true. You just... You just make up whatever you want to about Scripture. I look at the Scripture, I can choose, I can interpret, I can do anything I want to because there is no ultimate truth because truth is just whatever I make it up to be. Let's have a discussion about it, okay? Let's go on the Oprah show, talk about it. No, let's not do that. Um, okay, the Bible has the authority to tell us what to do. Only 50% of Americans think that's true. It's another scary thing. That means it's not the source of authority for 50% of the people. Some who go to church. Okay, next slide. Character of God. God is perfect and cannot make, make a mistake. I was really confused by this one. This is a strange view of God. 35% of Americans don't believe that, God, that God, God can make mistakes. That's a scary God. He's kind of arbitrary and he does weird things sometimes. And we don't have to, you know, that's how people describe him sometimes. God answers specific prayers. Yeah, that's, that's good. 66% believes that. God knows everything but does not determine all that happens in the world. 60%. I don't, no, we'll talk about that theologically later. Okay, next slide. Sin and condemnation. Everyone sins a little, but most people are good by nature. 65% of Americans believe that's true. Once again, I, don't, I, I just want to tell you from Scripture, that's not true. Okay, God would be, could, would be fair to show his wrath against sin. That means, yeah, if, if God, yeah, he can show his wrath against sin. Well, only 57% said that's true. The rest of the people say, no, God can't do that because he's not fair. Okay, and, and the last one, even the smallest sin deserves eternal damnation. 74% of the persons say, no, that is not true. Because there's big sins and little sins, and we just never know which one is, is where. So, you know, that's kind of the deal. Okay, that's a survey. That's the last. We don't, I don't know if there's another one, but I'm not going to worry about it if there is, okay? You can go to the, okay, just go to the next slide. There we go, okay. <laughs> so, we, looking at that, it just simply says this. We are prone to errors, okay? It's not just people back then, it's people now, too. So, we need to know what we believe firmly, okay? Now, today, my good friend Dan here is going to share with us some of his story. And the reason we, we're doing this today, and I appreciate so much, and, and, and we'll talk about later. Somebody asked me after this first service, one of the leadership team people said, it'd be great to have Dan come back at the end of the series and kind of wrap things up. So we'll see about that, okay? See how it goes. Today. I just did it in public, so I just put you on the hot seat here. Anyway, <laughs> uh, we'll see how that goes. Um, but the deal is this. The deal is this. Um, Dan, I've known him for a long time, for many, many years. Uh, he came into the life of the church. Dan was going through this whole... Uh, metamorphosis, reformation in a sense of his own and he started sharing with me some of his story. If you have like several hours someday, sit down with Dan and he can tell you a lot and the uh, other day we were preparing for this 20 minutes or 15 minutes or whatever it's going to be today and it took us two hours, okay? So we have to hone it down a little bit, which he did a great job with last service, okay? But the deal is this, when we were thinking about this series and about this, I, the first thing I thought about was Okay, how can we best illustrate this to you? And I thought about Dan. Chris Genders thought about Dan because I know his story. Dan went through this, this reformation in his own life. He grew up in a Catholic church. He was very involved in that. And then he had this kind of epiphany experience on the mission field uh, with a Catholic priest. He was still Catholic. And, and, and he went through this whole process of really beginning to question some things. And then he came back and eventually, I don't know if it was immediately or eventually, he began this process of examining scripture. 
I cannot tell you how many of you who come from a Catholic background have come to Great Oaks and said, the one thing that has really changed me is when I began to read Scripture myself. Hugely important. But Dan did something that most people don't do, okay? And I always laugh at this because... Dan's academic and really, really smart guy, okay? Sometimes he uses words I don't understand. I have to get him to define them for me, okay? And, and so what he did is that he not only, not only started studying Scripture, but he wanted to know exactly what the Catholic Church that he was a part of believed. And so he went and actually purchased a copy of the last Vatican Council documents, which is all the doctrine of the church, read that along with Scripture, and tried to compare it. It basically, long story short, you found some of the things wanting in regard to not, not matching up. That led him to another change in his life where he began to question, you know, do I stay where I am? Do I go somewhere else? And eventually it led him to go to Bible college, the seminary, and, uh, and began to examine scripture himself. And now he serves as a Protestant chaplain in a, a Catholic hospital at OSF. One of three uh, there. Amongst it, but he's good friends of, of many of the of the folks there, uh, priests and nuns, and uh, has a great relationship with them. And so we thought, what a better person to come and to share a little bit about that that reformation in your own life. And so Dan, um, go for it. Okay. I always wondered what you, we all looked like sitting out there. <laughs> Y'all look good. <laughs> Lights are kind of weird. So it leads me, obviously, to my three promises for today. I like transparency. I like living a transparent life, just kind of out there, nothing really to hide. So three promises of things that are going to happen in the next 15 to 20 minutes. Solari sermone. I promised Chris I wouldn't use any, like, foreign words, and he's not here, so <laughs> here comes the Latin. It means rapid speech. At some point during this today, my speech, all on its own, unmotivated by desire or utility, will kick into high speed, Bill will kick me under the table and I'll know to slow down because Diane is not here, my wife, to do that for me. ADHD will be on full demonstration, full <laughs> revelation of that in my life. Diana says I am, I don't think I am, but I squirrel. <laughs> that will happen. And I will lose my place with the one slide I brought today. <laughs> Again, Bill will kick me under the table and I'll come back to reality. And then we're all going to have an Alice in Wonderland experiment where some thought enters my head in the middle of talking. We go down the rabbit hole. I take you with me. And Bill has to pull us back out. Why many of you will ask the person sitting next to you, who did he say this guy was? And you'll wonder why I'm here. I'm glad to be here. I want to make a couple of disclaimers before, we, before I start. So I work in Catholic health care today. I'm a chaplain. I'm one of three Protestants on a 16-person uh, team. So there's 13 Roman Catholics, and there's three of us that are Protestant. Uh, there's me, one Presbyterian, one Southern Baptist. It's an interesting mix. Um, everything we do in the hospital from, the stand, from our service is within the environment and guidelines of Roman Catholicism as it applies to health care. And actually, when, you, when I look at their religious directives for us, I agree with them all because part of me working there is I get to be me and express my faith however that faith is for me. So actually an unbelievable amount of freedom. Two, I would say two of, and I use this next word really, really carefully because it carries a lot of weight in my head. Two of the holiest people I've ever worked with in my life are Roman Catholics. One's a priest, one's a deacon, who's a brother. 
Um, one I've worked with, and we'll talk about it in a minute, the priest um, I've worked with in one of the more violent places on the planet, uh, definitely the poorest place on the planet, um, and he is the guy that uh, taught Diana and I how to be missionaries, how to be missionaries the right way, not as a flag bearer for uh, your church, not as a flag bearer for some secular cause, but to truly be flag bearer for the gospel of Jesus Christ and how to do that and keep true to Christ in that. Um, in my heart, in my mind, in my body, I tell folks, in my bones, I am Christian. I've parted ways with the Roman Catholic Church, but have, I say fortunately and joyfully parted as friends. There's still, um, I am, I consider uh, many of the priests and nuns, deacons that I work with, um, my brothers and sisters. We eat lunch together every day, we pray together every morning, we pray at lunch every day together. We serve in pitch dark places of people's lives together um, in some horrible, horrible situations that families and individuals are going through. And we do that together. And joyfully, again, our denominational differences have never gotten in the way of that. Although we have some very interesting conversations at the lunch table, comparing and contrasting beliefs. Some debates get pretty energized, but at the end of the day, I think we truly love each other and we take good care of each other and I think that's what Jesus wants us to do. Hey, I'm right where I'm supposed to be. You are. That's cool. You're doing great, man. <laughs> <laughs> Last service, Dinah was sitting kind of right back there going, oh God, here he goes. He's going to do no, it. No, you, you did it. a great last service. I thought you stayed on track, okay? So just keep up the good work. So, Bill's always an encourager in my life. <laughs> so, I grew up Roman Catholic. I was baptized Roman Catholic. Did First Communion, Roman Catholic, First Confession, Roman Catholic. I was confirmed Roman Catholic, and I was married in the Roman Catholic Church. So the five big sacraments that you do before you die are in one's holy orders, which means you become a priest. So that's not me. But anyway, see, there goes the rabbit hole. <laughs> almost went down. <laughs> almost went into it. So I was raised Roman Catholic. Um, by the time I got probably junior or senior in high school, I was nothing. I wouldn't say I was atheist because I believed there was a God, but I always like to quote Paul, good for you, so do the demons, and they quake at his name. So like I believed in God like something is out there, but it has nothing to do with my life whatsoever. So I was functionally atheist with some tangent of God in my life. Went through a bunch of stuff, had a pretty interesting life uh, for quite a while, and actually it was waking up in a drug treatment center at 39 and having a young man uh, who was a really cool Christian guy witness to me that first introduced Jesus into my life. Something I forgot to do last time that I'm going to do here just for a second, never stop witnessing to people. Never, ever stop witnessing and sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. What got me clean, kept me clean, and saved my life was one Christian person willing to come into the uncomfortable weirdness of a drug treatment center and witness the truth to me. So never stop witnessing. You have no idea what that, but my life is proof of the power of, of one person taking the chance and witnessing to me. So I went back to, I realized there's a giant need for change in my life at this point. This is not a, a place you want to wake up. So I went back to the only place I knew to go. That was the Catholic Church. Joined kind of a cool parish, involved in a lot of things. Got very, very involved in that church. 
So involved, in fact, that when a visiting African priest came uh, to give a presentation, um, Diana and I followed him back into East Africa to do, shoot a couple of documentary films. We had a, a ministry called Worship Films. We filmed full feature documentaries for small Christian teams to do international fundraising. And so we went into a place, um, we actually wrote a book about the experience and said if there, and I mean this quite literally, if there is a hell on earth, it's in this place called the Turkana District of Northern Kenya. It's indescribable. It's, it's indescribably bad. Spent time there, drove across the country, up into the mountains, and then we worked in the second largest slum in Africa. And a slum in Africa has its own special kind of meaning of what that looks like. And it was in those places that I really um, had a couple of pretty powerful moments of recognizing I don't even know what I believe because I can't understand God in this place. The first was watching Father Ed working within tribal people, and I'm talking just a click away from Stone Age people, um, witnessing Jesus Christ to them without the usual. No church, no clerical garb, no collar, no black shirt, no um, traditional rules, no sacraments. What he had was a Bible and Jesus Christ. And that didn't make sense to me, because that's not how it goes. The second and probably one of the most profound experiences in my life, we were in a place called St. Andrews, which is the, Diana and I have been in some really bad places together. This if was indescribable to the point we stopped filming. We didn't feel like it was appropriate to keep a camera rolling in this place. Basically, lots of preschool age and kindergarten through third age kids living in a condition that isn't okay. It's, it's not right. Uh, what was going on there was horrible. And so I'm behind the safety of my camera, which you learn really quickly is a great place to hide out, put your camera up, and you don't have to deal with what's going on in the immediacy of the place. And I'm watching Diana in the middle of filth, surrounded by these little kids, weeping and praying over them. It still touches me deeply. And she's just preaching Jesus to them quietly. And I said, told myself that's what we're supposed to do. That's what Jesus looks like. Not that I'm saying my wife is Jesus, but it just hit me in that moment. That's what faith is. Because I'm hiding behind a camera. My wife, five foot, little, I mean, as white as you can be white, not blending in East Africa very well, <laughs> is doing what we're supposed to be doing. So we came home, and we were loaded with questions. Because um, neither of us could reconcile anything we understood with faith, and I mean anything with faith, with the experiences we had had there, because you're in another world, and everything you've been taught and trained and practiced every Sunday does not match this. It doesn't work. There's no way to make sense of, of, of these things, and so I started studying. I bought a Bible, first one I'd ever owned. Um, I still have it on my bookshelf, St. Joseph edition. Um, and started reading and studying, um, started with the Gospels. And the more I read, the more I realized, I don't know who is this, and I'm not being funny, who is this Jesus person? Like what, like, what is this guy to me? I knew he's a son of God, all of those things, but like, what is this? Like, that there's so much emphasis on him, I don't get this. And uh, continued to study. Moved along for a while, was still in the church, decided I wanted to go to Bible college because this was just... I wasn't getting this. 
at all. And it had become really important to both of us when we got home that we don't understand this. This has got to make sense. So I enrolled at Lincoln, bought a um, catechism, which is the entire teaching of the Catholic Church, like 3,600 pages. And I'm not kidding. It's a book about that big and read it front to back with the scriptures going through. Um, and I couldn't reconcile it. I just couldn't. And I remember the last thing our priest, and good guy, uh, had told me when he found out I was signing up for a Protestant Bible college was, I'll never forget this, don't, that's fine, go do your Bible college thing, but don't you ever let anyone convince you that this isn't the only church. I'm like, wow, that sounds like, okay. And I got there and started meeting all these Christians from different varieties and flavors and stripes and colors and experiences. I was the old guy on campus. They called me Grandpa, which I don't know get away from me. Like, you know, these high school kids just coming out, and I'm, I don't know, at the time, I guess I was 43. Like, and I actually, I was a grandpa. I had two grandkids at that point. But uh, studied and studied and studied, started going through, and it was on a Sunday. I can still remember it. It was at the end of Lent before Easter, and I'm standing in communion line at church, and I realized I was a liar, that I couldn't do this anymore, that there were brothers and sisters of mine who, for this, was a very important part of their worship going to take communion. This meant something to them, and it didn't mean anything to me anymore, and I didn't believe what we've been raised to believe. I didn't believe that the body of blood of Christ was actually present here, and that everything we had done and worked on, I couldn't do it, and we left. I never went back. I left as a friend. I left without hard feelings. I left without resentments, but I could no longer do it. I just couldn't, and so I went to seminary um, and decided I wanted to go kind of all in and figure it out, and Chris uh, and Bill um, stayed with me through that process. It's an incredibly difficult thing to do. Actually, I always say if I'd have known how hard it was going to be, I would have never signed up. But once they cash the check, you're there because oddly, <laughs> they don't give refunds because they know you'll figure it out about week six after the refund date passes. They've got your money. No, it wasn't that bad. It, actually, it was that bad. See, there's the rabbit hole. So... I had grown up with having the scriptures interpreted for me through a hierarchical system where the Pope has absolute authority to speak on matters of faith and morals, nothing else, faith and morals. Um, and that all of that filters down through historical, this historical, do, uh, um, historical dogma and doctrine. And that so at the end, you are receiving but not truly participating in understanding, if that makes sense. It's totally okay. There's a big misperception that you can never ask questions. Totally not true. Um, I'm sure I drove more than a few priests and nuns out of their minds with questions. But you can't question the truth of things, where the evidence is from. And the truth and evidence is never pointed back at Scripture alone. It's this is what this document said, this is what this church father said, this is what the Pope says. I couldn't do that anymore because the scripture says something very, very different about things. Um, so we came down to a matter of, which I think we all struggle with today, of personal accountability to God and personal responsibility for our faith in that there's kind of a, a, a weight you pick up in leaving that, and then I can't put it off on the church anymore. I'm responsible for knowing the Bible. I'm responsible for studying it. I'm responsible for understanding 
developing and nurturing my relationship with Christ. And that's on me. It's not on Bill. It's not on this church. It's not on this congregation. It's on me. It's my weight, my responsibility. That's a big one to pick up when your whole life, somebody's just been telling you if something goes wrong, <laughs> he told me this is what we're supposed to be doing. When that fails, it's not my fault. It is, it is my responsibility. And so, and the next biggest, I guess, was moving away from a system of sacraments, of sacramental theology that, you know, at baptism, my original sin is forgiven. Um, the communion, confirmation, all of these things are, are moving me towards. And then if you don't march through these steps, um, that you're not in a state of salvation, that my salvation is based on my willingness to participate in uh, sacraments which is one of the places my friends and I debate a lot over lunch, where today, based off what scriptures tell me, and if it doesn't reconcile with scripture today, it's a no contest for me. If you can't show, and I don't mean proof texting, well, I mean actual, if scriptures doesn't pan it out, it's a non-issue, it's a non-truth. It's either in there or it's not in there. But that's not the case with sacramental theology, I have to do these things. And when I found out it was simply the shed blood of Jesus Christ on the cross that frees me from my sins. I always tell folks, I'm a John 3.16 guy. I mean, I've got four years of Bible college, five years in seminary, speak all the original languages, can translate out of German into Latin into English. Not something I recommend. And you'll really get messed up. When you go from Latin to German, it gets weird. Hey, the cool thing was St. Jerome, who did the Latin Vulgate, didn't speak Greek or Latin. <laughs> so, rabbit hole. <laughs> that was my rabbit hole. Hey, you're right there. <laughs> so, it says turn the page now. <laughs> We're responsible for our faith and everything in it. I'm a John 3.16 guy, and anybody who will sign up for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son to die on the cross, that whoever should believe I have eternal life and never perish. I'll pray with you. I'll worship with you. I'll call you my brother and sister in Christ. I disagree with the Southern Baptist pastor I work with on a handful of things. I definitely disagree with the Presbyterian guy that I work with on a handful of things. I disagree with some of the priests and the nuns, all of them on a lot of things. But at the end of the day, we pray together. We, we worship as we can together. We serve uh, people with great need together, and that's okay. That's okay. Here's my thing that strikes me a lot, and when Bill put these slides up, it really kind of kicked me in the back of the head. There's a lot of Christians that I encounter in the hospital who have no idea. that They're talking about things that have nothing to do with scriptures or even their own church doctrine. There's so much loss of faith in this world today, and particularly in the West and specifically in this country. There is this loss of biblical literacy and responsibility of our own faith. And if people don't, and I say this carefully, but I really mean this, if people don't believe that Christianity is under the greatest attack, it's not under threat because God is not mocked. Let me say that clearly. God is not mocked. So Christ is not under threat, neither is God. God is not mocked. If we don't believe that faith and the basics of faith are under attack, we're living under a stone. I mean, we need to wake up because it is. And I don't think at this point in history we can, we can afford to spend a lot of time evangelizing to other Christians who are already in a state of grace. I think 
when the world is devouring the Christian faith in this country, we need to be able to stand together in spite of denominational differences and stand up together for Christ. The differences on Sundays, some of those things, God has to sort that out with the individual. It's each person's accountability. But if the gospel is preached, the gospel is preached. And I think there's a lot of discussion that has to happen around there. So I live on John 17, 20 through 23. I think Jesus, I know, am confident Jesus was able to look ahead and see the challenges that were going on then and that they were never going to stop in this life. I'm praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one, as you are in me, Father, and I am in you. And may they be in us that the world will believe you sent me. Body of Christ, you know, we are one. And uh, we need to be strengthened. But I'm glad I'm here. Bill, I'm glad you asked me to be here today. Appreciate you coming. Uh, this is a little tiny bit of his uh, story, but uh, the reality is, is that all of us need to go through a reformation, in a sense, of our own faith. Uh, I knew Dan had gone through a radical one, you know, radical reformation uh, when he when he moved from where he was to where he needed to be. And I don't know where you are uh, in your your relationship to Christ, but like I said, our purpose at the Great Oaks is to help you take your next step towards God. For Dan, it was to start examining his faith in light of Scripture which led him to a place of, of, uh, of, I believe, real faith. For Martin Luther, he was already a Catholic priest, but the reality was he began to realize as he studied Scripture that he needed to do something about where he was, and he tried to reform the church. It didn't reform, and so he left the church and started a new whole movement. He didn't mean to do that. But today, because of what he did, um, these things are going to be talking about the next five weeks. These five solas, these five alone things have become the foundational issues which we as Christians base all our faith upon. And because of that, they're, they're vitally important. So the Reformation does matter to us today as well. And so my hope and prayer is this, that over the next several weeks as, as we explore together these, these things, these foundational issues, that you will not only just study them, but you will apply them to your lives and ask yourself this question. Am I not only, do I not only believe in my mind that these are true, but do I live these out in my life? Do I believe that truly it's Scripture alone? Do I believe truly that it's Christ alone? Do I believe truly it's grace alone, that I don't have to do a bunch of works to be made in favor with God? Do I believe it's in faith alone? Do I, believe, do I give glory to God alone? And as we explore those things and understand them clearly, the thing that we need to understand is this, is as we apply them, it will strengthen our foundation. And in a world where we are under attack, our, 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 our beliefs, our faith is under attack. And, you know, truthfully, I shared the first service, I'll share this. I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing. Because what it does, it makes us examine where we are. Because when things are going well, we just kind of like flow. You know, things are just fine. But we need to really examine what we believe because what we believe is not only what we think up here, but it's what we do. And so my prayer is that we as a church will come to a greater foundational belief about who God is and what he wants to, wants to do in our lives. And it'll come through the study of Scripture and understanding that Scripture alone and Christ alone, faith alone, grace alone, and glory to God alone are things that we must, we must 
believe. So let's pray today before we close, okay? God, we thank you so much for your incredible love. We ask that you would just enable us to God that over the next several weeks as we examine these things, that we would just, in a real sense, um, not only gather a better understanding of these things, but God, that we will learn how to think in a way that we, that we use these as the filters of our life. Uh, that we began to examine and ask, you know, do I really trust in Christ alone? Do I really, do I really desire more than anything is, 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 to, is, is to think that, you know, Scripture alone is enough. God, your spirit, yes, it helps us to illuminate and understand Scripture more clearly. But really, Scripture alone, that's why Scripture is so important. It's not optional for the life of a Christian. And so, God, we ask all these things. We ask that you would just not only illuminate us, but you would embolden us, God, to live our life based on these five things. Because, God, these are the foundational issues of what it means to be a Christian. Guide us now, God, this day, that as we go forward, that we will just, uh, this over the next several weeks, that we won't miss a Sunday, that we'll desire more than anything to learn these things. And God, you know, the things that we teach won't be everything there is, but we'll go beyond, and we'll learn things ourselves as well as we examine these as well. Thank you, God, once again, for your love, your goodness. I thank you for Dan coming today and sharing. I thank you for all the things that are going on in life this church. We pray for the Peru team and all the, the folks will be going out at the end of this week. And, just guide us now, God, and we ask these things in Jesus' name.